Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations. This is episode 19. I'm Roger Pang from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here with Hillary Parker of Stitch Fix. Uh, and this is a special West Coast edition yeah. of Not So Standard Deviations. I am temporarily assigned to Seattle. Yeah. And you said you're teaching a short course? Yeah. I'm, so I'm teaching a short course on reproducible research at the University of Washington's kind of summer institute. Yeah. And you're teaching it with Keith Baggerly? I am the rock, the rock star <laughs> statistician of reproducible research, right? Yeah, that's awesome. That must <laughs> yeah, be no, interesting because I, I don't feel like I, what are his tooling? How much is it about tooling versus about principles? Um, I mean, if I had to break it down, I'd say it's about half and half. Mm -hmm. So cool. I would say half is like Keith Baggerly telling, you know, scary bedtime stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does, <laughs> he Does he have more? Does he have He's got than... a lot. Really? Oh yeah, I know he's got a ton, oh, um, and then the other half is like, here's here are the tools that you can use to uh, prevent yourself from being in one of his scary bedtime stories. Yeah, that so has he come up with those after the big Duke scandal or before? Um, I think most of the, most of the ones he tells are from before. Um, really? uh, either so, but there are, there are different ones. They're all kind of genomics related, obviously. But mm -hmm. he should make um, a book but, with all of these. Yeah, like, yeah, it would be interesting. Just, yeah, he's just, like, write up his talks. <laughs> yeah, I actually went searching for some of his talks and because of the, like, looking for the Duke example. And there's yeah. not, there's, I think there's one online, but it was a long time ago, and there's been a lot of development in that story since then. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although so. he's, like, the he's, a, he's a, a really good speaker, so I think you lose a lot just kind of seeing the written word, I think. Totally true. Yeah, he's yeah. a great speaker. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, I'll be here for this week. So and I got my fix of uh, Asian food. Great. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's really cold here. It's in the sixties and windy. Really? Had to break out my sweaters. Yeah, it's very bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> there's some quote. I, there's a quote that everyone. I bet like anyone who is hearing this will roll their eyes. Some quote attributed to Mark Twain, but I don't think it's actually Mark Twain, but like the coldest winter I ever had was the summer in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> what it feels like, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's so. like a rookie move for your first time in San Francisco. Like you, you come with like no warm clothes. Yeah, when I moved here, I brought all these sundresses. And then I had <laughs> like two weeks till my stuff got here. That's freezing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we have a few announcements, right? Or maybe just one announcement. Mm -hmm. One is uh, so we just we you, you and I just released a book. Yeah. Uh, it's called Conversations on Data Science, and it takes uh, so it takes a number of our episodes and our I guess some of our more interesting uh, <laughs> episodes. All interesting. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's there's more or less interesting, but. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, we, I basically, you know, we took the transcripts and kind of uh, edited them down into a readable format uh, and put them in this book, which you can get for free on LeanPub, um, uh, or you can pay the suggested price if you feel like it. Um, anyway, so it's uh, it's out there now, and I think one of the things that we're gonna I'm gonna try is, you know, as we do more episodes of of the podcast, you know, we'll I'll add more chapters to the book, which is gonna contain more conversation. So it'll be kind of a live book. Um, that'll just continue to grow, um, you know, indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. It'll be like this 4,000 page tome in you know, 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. I love it. 
So, um, yeah. but also it, uh, it provides a way to like, you know, you can search it and stuff like that. So it's actually a, a nice, it's a, it's kind of a nice, uh, a different mode of kind of, you know, experiencing the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of fun reading it over as we were editing. Uh, I thought it was, it was interesting to me to see conversations change over time and, you know, like what we were talking about six months ago. Yeah. Eight months ago, nine months ago when we started. Yeah. I'm frankly, I, I had forgotten a lot of those conversations. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. I was like, oh, hmm, that was an interesting point. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, interesting to see how some of that kind of like how we how I thought about it later on, you know. Mm-hmm, totally. Whether I still agreed with myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so. You, uh, actually, so, uh, don't you have, you have a new podcast as well, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do have a new podcast. It's, um, it's called The Effort Report. Uh, which is a kind of Johns Hopkins inside baseball <laughs> phrase, but um, it's it's with Elizabeth Matsui, who's a colleague of mine at Johns Hopkins, and it's it's all about it's just about like kind of academia and life as a kind of a professor, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're just getting started, and um, we're still trying to like figure it out, but it seems to be going well. <laughs> yeah, no, it seems interesting for someone who's like. Like, I think you had something about writing grants or just some of the things that you would be facing as an academic. Yeah, I, I think our goal is to kind of, like, you know, talk about stuff that you wouldn't find on any other random, like, podcast. Uh, any other kind of, like, on, like, an NIH website or something like that, you know, just kind of, like, <laughs> the inside kind of stuff on, like, life as an academic. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of written stuff about that. Kind of, about that. Um, but mm-hmm. there wasn't much kind of in the podcast domain, I thought. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. So you emailed me actually with this uh, article on the uh, on uh, on the MRI analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, fMRI. Right? I think. Sorry, fMRI. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this was a um, the paper that came out in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences um, that claimed that so uh, that they tested all this uh, software used to analyze fMRI data um, and that. A lot of it basically just generated these like a super high rate of false positives, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I don't know how much you, of this you saw, but uh, it's uh, kind of interesting because I guess the, the so so I think I mean the paper is it's technical, but uh, it's basically a couple of statisticians uh, uh, and they who are in the kind of the fMRI business, and um, and what they did is they took a bunch of what's called resting state fMRI, uh, which mm-hmm. is basically like if you're lying in the scanner, not doing anything, uh, and they're just scanning your brain. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I hesitate to think of like what my <laughs> my fMRI would show in that situation. But the point <laughs> is that like it's kind of like your background state, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and um, and they took like something like on the order of five hundred of these um, scans from all different kinds of studies all around the world. And um, and the basic idea is that if you were to analyze this data, you you shouldn't really find anything because there shouldn't be any like correlations or patterns across all of the scans because everyone's thinking about something different. You wouldn't expect there to be any sort of pattern between multiple people and multiple studies and every, in, a, in a resting state. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I guess they, this, but they ran this like, so there's like commonly used software for analyzing fMRI data. Uh, and they have all these kind of acronyms for them. And, uh, but the note and they had been validated on simulated data, mm-hmm. uh, but they'd never been really kind of tested on real world kind of observed uh, human brain data. Mm-hmm. So they tried to just test all the kind of like the most commonly used software on this, what you would expect to be kind of, this is essentially kind of null hypothesis data. 
uh, and uh, and see kind of what the false positive rate is, what the family-wise error rate was. And uh, uh, you would expect it to be kind of 5% based on the kind of the usual testing procedures. Uh, but they found that some of the software, kind of the, the error rates around the order of like 60 to 90% <laughs> mm-hmm. false positive. Mm-hmm. Um, That's pretty bad. <laughs> which is, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think so. I mean, the way these kinds of things work is often the you know, the the scan will try to will try to pick up essentially some signal of brain activity, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and the but the software has to decide whether the kind of the, the scan whether there's kind of significant brain activity or whether it's just kind of like statistical noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the software makes a declaration of whether like a certain area is active or not. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, so that's where like the, the anomaly detection thing from way yeah. speaking of way back. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and it's actually, yeah, it's true actually. And I think um, one of the issues is that, um, you know, the images are, you know, they're, they're, they're spatially, you know, they're spatial images because like, you know, your, your brain is kind of, things are correlated in space. And there also, there's also correlation in time, I think. And so they have to account for all this cor- spatial correlation in your brain structure. Um, and so there's, there's models to do that. And, and I think one of the issues is that if you validate software on simulated data, you know, this, the, the, that validation is only useful up to the point where you can kind of simulate realistic data. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem is that the brain, actual brain data is kind of complicated. And we may not know how to simulate um, the actual kind of relationships that are manifest in the signals of the brain. But we can't uh, simulate like brain activity and the experience <laughs> of thoughts and emotions. I mean, reliably. I thought we could, but apparently <laughs> not, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think one of the, so one of the key findings that they made is that you know the um, the spatial kind of model that a lot of the software uses is, is relatively simplistic. Um, it's from uh, random field theory, and it basically two assumptions. One is that there's the the correlation kind of has a specific type of decay, mm-hmm. um, which is Gaussian, and then mm-hmm. the other is that the that the correlation structure of the brain is kind of the same everywhere, right? So if mm-hmm. two pixels are correlated at you know two pixels that are like you know ten millimeters apart or have a certain correlation, then any two pixels that are ten millimeters apart will always have the same correlation. That's kind of like the assumption that they make. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, which they think is probably violated. And yeah. So, um, but anyway, so I, I, it's, I, I saw this paper actually like long before it came out. I think it was posted to the archive a while ago as it was being reviewed. Um, and uh, I had a sense that it was going to be a popular paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it, one of the interesting stories I think to come out of this is that um, the um, you know I think uh, you know Im- medical imaging is kind of interesting because like it has its roots in you know in, like physics basically right I mean if you had mm-hmm. to, to understand how these machines work you really have to know physics mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of the soft the early kind of software that was built was built was kind of written by physicists and engineers who who essentially built the machines right oh right I see what you're saying and so uh, there was not there were not really any statisticians involved you know. In, in the early stages, for sure, and, and not until recently in terms of analyzing the data, um, and then uh, and, and, and certainly not anal- when you look at kind of uh, groups or populations of people, um, that you know that hasn't really been done much until recently, and when it's been kind of picked up by statisticians. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so actually, I th- I, I'm curious about that because I spent some time trying to figure out where exactly the software was implemented because, and the reason why I followed that was because I was confused how one methodology could be so widespread. Um, and so I guess what you said, to touch upon what you just said with 
the fact that it's like physicists building these machines, but then why? So they were writing the software, but the software is not technically part of the machine. At first, I thought it might be some sort of like immediate processing that happens, um, but that doesn't seem to be the case to me. Uh, no, that's not the case in this mm -hmm. analysis. The software that they tested was there is software in the machine, but that's not what they tested. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, like the manufacturer of the machine has to write software that's kind of built into the, the to the device, but that's not that's separate. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the software that is used to, to kind of like do this this data analysis, ultimately what it comes down to is that I think it's complicated software, <laughs> and it's not like you're going to have dozens of people writing it. Yeah. And I think ultimately what happened is that whoever wrote it first, you know, that's what everyone used. Yeah, yeah. That was, and from, <laughs> from tweeting out about it and getting some neuroscientists and such to reply, it sounds like there was, it was like a C program, I believe, but then there's like a mat, there's like some custom GUIs and then there's a MATLAB UI and so there's just sort of different ways that you could access it without actually you know compiling the code yourself which I thought was somewhat implausible uh that it would be so widespread and also so complicated to use uh yeah well yeah. it's widespread you know in the field but the field is not like that huge right yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I mean I think on the scale of scientific fields it's I don't know it's probably in the middle somewhere but it's not like as big as, like, say, genomics, for example. Um, yeah, but it, I guess, I mean, I guess with genomics, you could, I could imagine uh, certain methodologies that are pretty widespread use. It's just that, I guess the, I guess I was just, I got really caught up because I, I felt like, I, I guess to, like, rewind a little bit, I felt like the narrative was likely going to be something, I thought there was going to be something interesting to say about tooling, and there probably is in terms of, like black box tools that you sort of automatically implement versus like having to code it yourself and therefore thinking through the assumptions a little bit more. Um, and so it was kind of interesting because it was almost in the latter where it was a package that was just being distributed. But I think the, the widespread use, I mean, I think it, it's probably like feathering or like on the feather line of that point like is it is it like clicking and you just get this result or is it something that you're like it's not an R package for example so you're not just like implementing these methods within a broader analysis so do you see what I mean uh, I think so yeah I mean I think yeah. I've never used the software but I mean I think yeah. the software is one of these things that it does a lot of different things you know uh, for mm -hmm. example it allows you to view the image which is mm -hmm. like obviously very important yeah. Um, and um, and so that's but that's not like an analysis per se. That's just like reading the data file, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but amongst, but then uh, on top of that, it allows you to do these different kinds of analyses. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I was actually I was wondering about what, what were you what would you have said about say using kind of a built uh, uh, like um, a, a canned tool versus kind of building one yourself? Well, I think it's. I mean, obviously, if it were part of the machine, which at, at first I thought it might be, again, because it was so widespread. I mean, quote unquote widespread, but still, like, it sounded like it was a, it, like, threw into question lots of years of research. Um, it, I, if it was part of the machine, that's obviously a problem in my mind. Like, even if it would be really, you know, like, quote unquote straightforward and, like, why don't we just do this for everything so that people don't have to mess around with, you know, this somewhat routine analysis. And I do think with, um, like, the analog and tech companies of trying to get dashboards that display statistical results, like, you're getting pretty close to the idea that the data gets automatically analyzed in a way that you think the assumptions are going to be held, but you're not constantly checking it 
as much as you would with some sort of ad hoc analysis where you, you know, every time you might be checking things. So I think the tooling, it's funny because uh, Hadley Wickham's uh, keynote at Uzar, he talked about this blog post by Coding Horror. <laughs> his, I can't remember his actual name. <laughs> but uh, the, it's like Jeff something or other, right? Jeff Hadley. Jeff, or, Jeff Hadley, yeah. yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. He had the whole like falling into the pit of success and i do think I, I mean the tooling choices will nudge you either in the right direction or the wrong or not the tooling choices but the tools themselves should be nudging you toward a successful good analysis and it sound it seems to me still like this was a problem of the widespread use of somewhat black box tools that for analysis without people checking the assumptions on a regular basis um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because yeah. um, these are not new tools. You know, these are widely used, relatively old tools. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't mean old in a bad way, but you know, they're mm-hmm. they're not they were invented yesterday. Um, and I think um, I don't know. Part of me wants to say that uh, a lot of this. I mean, the reason I mentioned the kind of the physics and engineering background is I feel like um, I feel like one of the morals of this one moral here of this story is that you know is that the human body is just way more complicated than we think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I think there's there may have been some sense that like oh well you know we've simulated data we've um, we've uh, validated we've va- quote validated the software and so it's okay for everyone to use but the fact that there had never been a situation where you could validate it against real human data because there was no you know repository of of uh, you know publicly available human data. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only way you, someone could validate data is that if they had their own scanner and was scanning like hundreds of people by themselves, but they probably weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so having the publicly available data was like a prerequisite to kind of validating the software on real human data. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once, but then once you see the real data and how complicated and how complex it is, um, it's just you know kind of you have like you said you have to kind of constantly reexamine your assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that. I don't know. I just think sometimes um, there is a certain amount of um, hubris involved when it comes to, you know, figuring out the way the the human body works. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, we can go to the moon, so therefore we can cure cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those are kind of not in the same league, in my opinion, I guess. You think it's much much harder to cure cancer, obviously. Well, empirically. I hesitate to say that it's harder, (laughs) but was that... I said empirically because we've done one and not the other. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, but I mean, I hesitate to say that it's harder. But I'd rather I'd say we know less about one than the other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me completely. Yeah. Um, having been in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like having, I mean, I feel like kind of at least with genomics, there's been decades of not like wrong directions, but just. Like, oh, getting the genome map's going to solve everything. And then 10 years later, it's like, oh, it actually solved, like, not as much as we were hoping. Yeah, we're, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Not, we're not square one, but, like, a square 1.5. Yeah, you know? like, we're not <laughs> square, like, 12 or whatever. We right, think. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I totally agree. And I guess, I guess the someone did mention that, and you're mentioning it again, that the idea that you wouldn't necessarily have enough aggregated results to be able to analyze the correlation over a larger data set like between pixels or whatever but it still seems like there's enough data to do some cursory checking of the assumptions right um there is now yeah yeah but even yeah. so even if you were performing scans alone, like if you did a dozen scans alone you could have at least looked at those dozen samples right 
Yeah, I mean, no, you could. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it, it kind of takes... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would say it, it, might, it might have taken a statistician to actually say, hey, you know, maybe we should stop and think about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally. Because well, other... Oh, because, you know, the, because the software was working. Like, why Why would you bother, right? Yeah, see, that's, that's the thing. I feel like there's... I do feel like... I mean, I guess my other question would be how many statisticians... Because I'm a little biased because Hopkins has this big group that works on uh, fMRI stuff. And so I was like, oh, isn't this a bunch of statisticians? But probably most people doing these fMRI studies may have a statistical consultant, but... I can't imagine there's many other places that have a really big group working on it. No, it, it, I think the statistical participation in imaging uh, is is not that great. I mean, there is like a like an American Statistical Society Association like section on imaging, but mm-hmm. um, but that said, it's not like it's not like every institution has a huge statistical group working in this yeah. uh, area. Presumably, so, that might. When was it that the like Obama announced uh, kind of like the human genome for the brain thing oh yeah oh gosh i guess that was like a year or two ago i think yeah and so surely there's more funding which will kind of eventually lead to more statisticians working on it right um well i think ultimately what often leads to a lot of statisticians working in an area is publicly uh, publicly available data right um and i think that has been lacking in in the imaging world Mm -hmm. um and but it is increasing and so that's so i think this is like kind of the first (laughs) salvo uh Mm -hmm. in the uh, in the kind of increasing availability of publicly available imaging data yeah, um, but I do think that um, that kind of like the human whatever brain initiative, mm-hmm. uh, one of the objectives was to kind of get data out there, get it shared, mm-hmm. uh, so that other people could look at it. So yeah, yeah. yeah Another so think, thing that struck me was thinking about the early days of genomics, like those genome-wide association studies are pretty analogous. To, I mean, different statistical concerns for sure, but well, but not even. I mean, it, the same result of having a really high false positive rate that you know, probably a lot of false leads were, you know, followed because of these studies. So, I mean, the idea with these studies for for people who don't know, it's like looking at every single gene, get a bunch of people with a certain disease, measure their gene expression, and then because of, you know, multiple comparison problems, you're going to find some significant genes and like saying like, oh, great, well, this is the one, let's go for, you know, these are the genes that cause this problem. Um, right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think early on you could have pretty limited sample sizes and make conclusions. And so, I mean, that whole field has just been evolution and uh, like evolution upon evolution of multiple testing concerns and, you know, statistical right. methodology for dealing with that. And so, yeah. um, so it is kind of similar. So maybe we shouldn't be so in despair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, maybe the, like, you know, the need for a splashy headline, uh, you know, is stronger now than it was 10 years ago. Well, also, I think there's a, there's a potential for even more splashiness with brain stuff just because, A, it's brain. Yeah. A- and, um, and I think it's, you know, all the imaging stuff, you know, leads to this crazy, you know, the crazy claims that, like, you know, we can predict what you're thinking and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can predict when you're lying and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So it does look better uh, uh, in a, on a headline. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, um. Yeah. One of the things that actually uh, got me thinking when I read this article um, was the idea that you're, so this resting state data, um, which is just like, you know, people sitting in the scanner, not thinking about, you know, quote, not thinking about anything. Because mm-hmm. um, usually they're given tests or they're given things to look at or they're given tasks to do. So that's, there's a very like kind of active 
thinking going on there. Um, mm -hmm. But resting state is just when you're just sitting there in the scanner. Yeah. Um, and it, it made me wonder, like, whether I mean, and they and they address this in the article a little bit, whether that's actually whether that's truly null data, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and whether there might be things that are shared across people, um, uh -huh. even though. I mean, I don't know. If I were sitting in a scanner, would you and I think about the same things? Probably not, right? Yeah. But, well, uh, it's maybe. funny because I, I, I'm laughing because I remember in college, I would do I would do psych studies and stuff. You get paid, like, what felt like a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Lunch and, money. Yeah. And so then I remember uh, doing some sort of brain. It was, you know, they put the thing on my head with all the little sensors. So it's not fMRI, obviously, but it was some sort of, like, brain activity measuring uh -huh. device. And um, I remember I was really tired and I was falling asleep. They were trying to do this null thing and I was just falling asleep. And I felt so bad because I was like, oh, no, I'm like nodding off. But at the same time, I wanted the, like money. So I didn't. I think I even mentioned I think I was ethical and did mention to her like, hey, I'm pretty tired. Uh, <laughs> that might be affecting this scan. Anyway, so maybe it's a bunch of people who are falling asleep. Uh, in these scanners. Well, yeah, right. It, it could be because right? <laughs> they just desperately need that that fifteen dollars or whatever it is they're getting. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's just it is true that it's yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's weird because I was I was also thinking, oh, you might meditate, but then you know you're gonna. That's a very specific mental state, right? So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. One of the maybe reminded me of a story actually. I remember I was talking to someone who who does air pollution studies. Uh, in chambers, mm -hmm. and so these are you, know, you put people in like a chamber and have them breathe a certain dose of, dose of air pollution. Oh no, that's um, horrible. <laughs> well, it's it's often no worse than what you would breathe if you just walked outside. Oh right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but the point is that you know when you do these controlled experiments, you have to give someone a control, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and the question is, well, what do you give them? Mm -hmm. Because um, you can't just like pipe in air from the outside because that has air pollution. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but they found that like, you know, they would, um, you know, it was hard. You couldn't, you can't just give them oxygen, you know, because that's mm -hmm. not, that's not realistic either. Mm -hmm. um, and so they had a lot of trouble like kind of figuring out what the appropriate control is mm -hmm. um, because they, um, they would try filtered air, mm -hmm. um, and, but filtered air would still provoke a response for, for whatever reason. They couldn't figure out why. Hmm. And so they had to kind of concoct like what they called medical air, uh, <laughs> which is like a mixture of oxygen and nitrogen, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then that kind of didn't produce any sort of response. But I, I but the the point being that like I think coming up with an appropriate like like coming up with the data set that has the null distribution is not necessarily uh, easy. I think. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And and at some point. I guess I guess this is where it's just really important to discuss the limitations because it's not like oh if you can't get a null data set you should never try to analyze this data ever right 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 of course yeah. and yeah. so I'm sure that was the spirit of the original you know software and the original experiments and so but then at some point the assumption got lost in translation. Uh, because it's the easiest thing to want to ignore, right? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> caveats and, you know, there could be this. So, so yeah, it's sort of interesting. It, and, it, yeah, it just the whole thing seems like a big, messy problem that would be really hard to solve. Yeah, but it will likely sort yeah. itself out over time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think it's good that, you know, that this happens and, uh, <laughs> and that we can kind of, the field can reassess and kind of figure out where to go. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know. Do you have anything other thoughts on this? No, 
no, I think that. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to hear at some point from the Hopkins Smart Group about it, because surely they have a ton of opinions about this, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we yeah. should probably get like Brian Caffell on some one of these days. And yeah. Pick his brain. And he could, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he could have Puppet Pain come on. That's right. He, he could bring a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> Make another video in the Puppet Pain. Yeah, there was actually, you know, there's quite a bit of puppet activity on Twitter uh, tonight. I I oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't know Puppet Pain was like awaiting our invitation <laughs> to come on the podcast. So. Yeah, well, there's a long line of people who want to come on the podcast. So, uh. <laughs> um, so um, okay. Well, do you want to talk about prop test? Prop test? Yeah, CLM. definitely. Yeah. So this... you... Oh, go on. No, I want I want you to explain like what led to this. Yeah, <laughs> good question. <laughs> no, basically, what happened was I uh, left some projects with Etsy in the hands of very capable analysts I'm still in touch with over there. And so one of them uh, contacted me and he was saying how he was, he was calling into question the fact that I had been using um, a linear model and specifically the LM command in R to, as a way to do prop test, like a bunch of prop tests quickly. Mean, um, meaning comparison of like two proportions. Right. Prop yeah. tests being, yeah, two sample proportion tests to compare if two proportions are equal to each other. And it's a fairly simple formula. Like, you can do it by hand quite easily. Um, but I, especially because proportion data is, like, because you can just summarize it in, like, four numbers. Uh, and so I I had used LM because I, if you've used the prop.test command in R, it is not pretty <laughs> it's the input it's very untidy uh the input uh, yeah the input has flawed. to be <laughs> won't go that far okay but <laughs> definitely doesn't fit into my tidyverse workflow um and so and so and but i i use it all the time kind of just to like gut check assumptions and so um i use lm instead in part because uh i i just I felt like I'd been taught this in grad school and it intuitively made sense to me that, so the idea being that if you have a binary Y, if you fit a linear model where the Y is binary and the X is binary, that'll be equivalent to doing a two sample proportion test. Um, am I, have I described that in, does that make sense? Yes, it does <laughs> yeah. make sense to me. Okay. Yes. <laughs> sufficient, yeah, sufficient information. And so, um, and so my coworker had contacted me and said, like, I'm not so sure that this is actually, like, I've, I've tried to look at the differences and I noticed a small, uh, like, discrepancy and it was, like, slightly biased. And um, and so that just led, and this is, like, Friday afternoon, and I was like, I'm doing it. I was like, I'm certain they're the same. I was like, I cannot think of a single reason why they wouldn't be the same. Um, and so I went down the rabbit hole of trying to reconcile these. <laughs> and it was not as straightforward as I thought um, in that, and so there's like, it's, there's a lot of reasons, uh, all of them are somewhat uninteresting, but basically there's two ways to do this proportion test, um, by hand. And one is to create like a sort of pooled proportion. So assuming that there was no treatment and just dividing all the people who had, you know, quote unquote success, however you define that divided by everyone in the sample, um, versus, a different formula that would be like quote unquote unpooled where you have, you just 
you never do that kind of pooled proportion. Yeah. Um, and so, so one of the sources, so that led me to, <laughs> so I was like looking at LM, that was never getting me an answer. And so finally I went to GLM functional, so generalized linear models and use the binomial link with like the binomial family with link equals identity. And right. that finally got me exactly the same results as doing it by hand for the yes. unpooled equation. Yeah. Yes. And then, uh, but the pooled equation, I never, so it was, he was observing that difference. But then on top of that, the linear model variance estimate was like using a slightly different degrees of freedom calculation for the variance. I see. It, it's like the one, ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> like divide by n minus one or n minus two or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's using like the unbiased estimator versus the. Exactly. And okay. so that, I believe, uh, Mina. I do not know how to say her last name. Uh, do you know how to say her last name? <laughs> I think it's Chenkaya Rundle. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> she actually sat and like figured it all out, uh, the, the variance calculation part anyway. Um, and then so, actually... Wait, just, so we, can I just... So I saw this whole... Like, you got like the entire statistical community like working on this for uh, you. Uh, people who were up on like Friday night on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like, let me just... Uh, like, cause I'm not sure I totally understood what ultimately what happened. Pro probably because I was like about to go to sleep, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was more but, reasonable. So, you see, so when, when LN calculates the variance, like the empirical variance of the data, right? Mm-hmm. It, it basically, it calculates the variance and it divides by N minus, like, the number of degrees of freedom, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And then you're saying that when, uh, when, when prop, so, like, when prop test or GLM with a binomial link does, essentially does that same calculation, it's different, right? Yeah. Is that it? Uh, yes. And I still, I still don't understand. It, this is, I feel like, you know, getting away from the weeds for a second, it was interesting I feel like we even talked this in one of our first podcasts of kind of like where statisticians draw the line of when it becomes like magic computer stuff. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, cause that, that was what I felt like this all came down to for me. I, everything I said and believed was true, but figuring out the very nuanced details of how these, how these functions I use on a daily basis actually calculate the variance. Like I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. And probably I, not since graduate school, right? Yeah. And Mina even told, she tweeted out, and it, she was like, there's two things. One is the variance calculation. The second is that one of them compared, I was looking at p-values because, so here's the other thing. The prop.test actually does a chi-square test, but that's exactly equivalent to a, like a two-sample proportion test if you have, you know, a two-by-two two table. Right. And so... But the test statistic is still the chi-square. And so I, I, at first I was looking at those, I was like, why are these test statistics so different? And then I was like, oh God, it's because they're like, one's the chi-square and one's the T. And then, <laughs> <laughs> or one's the Z. And then Mina pointed out that, uh, so then I started looking at the p-value just to like not have to worry about that. But then she pointed out that the p-value in one of them was compared to a T distribution versus the other was compared to the Z distribution. Oh no. Which was like making a problem in the fifth decimal place. And I was just like, oh my God. Like <laughs> I never would have thought of that. <laughs> and it's again, all these things are so like again, I think if I had just never thought of any of this, like it still would have been fine. And it, you know, one in a million tests might have a different result if we're talking about like the fifth decimal place. Right. Or yes. whatever that one is. Yeah. But it still is just, it, 
it's the type of thing where I, I guess I'm not sure if it's just me kind of spinning wheels, you know, and wanting to have everything work out perfectly. But I also, in moments like that, I am grateful for my stat degree that I know. <laughs> like, I think that would have driven me crazy. And as it was my coworker, who he'd done, like, tons of simulations and was, like, correctly seeing this, like, slightly biased estimator. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Like, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. I Like, the practical versus interesting, you know? Ah, like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it practically made a big, like, difference. But I do, like, I think the more important thing is that if you ever want to have in your tidy workflow a prop test you yeah. definitely use glm with the binomial <laughs> family link equals identity and that will be exactly what you would do by hand so i see okay yeah. well <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay so here's here's a question i, I mean uh-huh. i think like all these different approaches they're all statistically kind of equivalent if not equal right yeah, yeah. um and especially and definitely asymptotically they're the same right <laughs> So um, like we can always we can always make ourselves feel better with asymptotics, but yeah. Um, but and so the question, but they're not, but they're obviously not the same, right? Yeah. And so this is kind of relevant to like the lecture I'm going to give tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when it comes to like reproducibility, right? Mm-hmm. There, in some sense, one does not reproduce the other, right? Because you get the differences at like the third or the fourth or the fifth decimal place or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so even, even earlier than that for kind of the, the biggest delta there for, you know, like the different type of pooling oh, yeah. variants and the different degrees of freedom that they made like in the second decimal point. Difference. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So yeah. I guess I don't really have a question here, but I guess. I, well, I, I felt like a bad reproducible person because I had just been saying this for years without figuring out, like, you know, I feel like I should have been saying that with all these caveats. Again, it probably doesn't actually make a difference, but, and I think I actually, I, cause I was having so much deja vu. I think I went through this whole thing with T-test cause the same thing <laughs> happens with T-test where you can do, if you do a linear model with a continuous Y and a binary X, one binary X is exactly equivalent to a T-test but you have the yes. same problem with the degrees of freedom. Uh, uh, and so I'd, I'd done that one once. And so I was okay. like, I was telling this coworker, I was like, oh yeah, no big deal. It's just that, you know, I'm going to figure this out. And then it was like so much more complicated. I was like, oh God, <laughs> this, I'm not figuring it out. And again, I, I know I trust Mina, but I still haven't done it myself. But I like, need uh-huh. to see those numbers be exactly the same. Um, but it's true that I think it's sort of, I think a statistician would say that advice and be like, you're going to get the same result. And, but then actually practically getting it was much, much harder <laughs> than, right. than like saying that you would get it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like this is the kind of thing where I would kind of think about it for maybe five seconds and be like, Oh yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're the same. Yeah. 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 And then, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, so the question I guess is, you know, what exactly was the problem and who do I blame? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, should you feel, should you feel bad about it? I don't know. Well, no, only because I only, this is all like, just because of my, you know, wanting this like coworker of mine, wanting, this is like in my loyalty to him that I looked into this so much because I had, I felt, I genuinely felt guilty and I was worried that I had been saying this and like sending him on this wild goose chase that, you know, and worried, like genuinely worried that I had like 
completely fabricated this equivalence. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think it's a, like the fact that I was tweeting out about it and like, you know, thinking about it was more, uh, more motivated by that than the science. Although, but then I got like, I just was like, I need to know the answer. Um, right. Yeah. yeah Once you're yeah. neck deep, you're like, you can't t- turn back. Yeah, right? yeah. You're like, I'm in it. Yeah. I gotta know. I gotta get those numbers to be exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. And I still, I mean, I do feel like I learned a lot about, like, the inner workings of these functions I used all the time that I kind of just trusted and maybe back in grad school had figured out, had understood a little better, but... Um, I genuinely, I was like, I was like, where's my GLM book? Like, I'm going to read that this weekend. <laughs> like, I, I genuinely feel like I, I need to brush up on it, frankly. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Guess, I guess it partly disturbed me that, like, I could not answer that right off the bat either. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad I'm not alone. <laughs> like I don't I had just I had just had this sense that there was a variance thing there, but like I couldn't tell you what the issue was. Yeah. Well but that but that's also sort of interesting because we were both right in the end. You know. I mean about our you mean like our hunches. Yeah, our hunches are right. So in the right neighborhood, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably good to just trust the hunches most of the time, you know. And then Okay. <laughs> <Is> I probably that... <laughs> the moment I said that <laughs> back and right up but it's true that i mean you know going educating yourself in a field like you can't possibly be thinking you can't possibly be like proving every theorem that you're using no yeah every day that you use it so you have yeah. to just trust you have to no, have you gotta that. yeah you gotta fall back on your training right i mean exactly. i think yeah and uh well i mean i think that's what makes us different i mean like our hunches i mean everyone every scientist kind of like has a hunch about whatever their thing is and our hunches are just about data you know yeah exactly. Or like you know like you like you know if you, you do, like if you see a plot that looks too good to be true like you know that right i mean you yeah. just but that's that's not proven that's just like your hunch like you you've seen lots of plots and mm-hmm. you know what looks too good to be true right yeah totally so, yeah yeah i try to remind people of that that it's mostly just experience <laughs> like you yeah. just you like i mean because even this this hunch was partly motivated by me going through this exact same process with t-test like a year ago right <laughs> and convincing myself of it then and so uh so this is like an annual ritual for you then. yeah just every it's just it's always like so i think i even tweeted about it then i was like <laughs> finally i'm using this n minus one like like knowledge for some reason it's not an important reason <laughs> You know, it's funny. I, I, I think I remember that, actually. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's going to be an annual ritual. Like, just... Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back into the old transcripts and find out where we talked about this. Yeah. Do yeah. it. I mean, <laughs> what it all, what, I think the truer thing is just that there's still, like, the tidy verse is very robust uh, in the data munging and, like, data cleaning and data reshaping or data tidying. Uh, and less so with the testing. <laughs> that, yes. I mean, I guess probably with prop tests, everyone just does it by hand or I don't know. I, I actually wonder that sometimes. I'm like this. I mean, I guess there's like row t-test in genomics or I don't know. But still, it's not. It's like all this, all this, the tidy verse ends with the 
application. <laughs> and then we're all left with like completely non-tidy tools and hopefully that will change over time. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I yeah. think, well, for, I gotta be honest with you, I've never used the prop, like I almost never used the prop test. Yeah. Function. You're not in web uh, analytics clearly. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and also and from, I think like, you know, in, in like in other areas, if you're doing like a lot of the, these prop test things, mm-hmm. like it, it probably, I think honestly they, they, you essentially use the, the, the linear model functions. I think it makes more sense to just do them all than a big matrix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, then it's, and then it's super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, but then, you know, that's not tidy, obviously. So, um. well, yeah. Not, so I feel like <laughs> David Robinson was just like teasing his next package and it was all about, I, I just cursory, he only tweeted one photo of it, but it appears to be. He is like the person who cares all about the next step in the tidyverse, like the because he made yes. room and yeah. I mean, that was yeah. basically that. I was like, I need this data. I need to put a linear model and like have the tidy output. Like that's all I want. That's <laughs> right. I, yeah, and the reason why I, was, I think it was simulation. So it's like it could like row wise stuff wasn't. I guess you could do row wise with simulation. Anyway, it for some reason it just felt like uh, I needed to use the linear model and. Um, but he, so he tweeted out something about uh, matrices. Like, it, it looks like this is going to be his whole dealing with people who won't be tidy because of matrix, uh, like, linear algebra, essentially. Yeah, like, yeah. No, I saw that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Me too, because I, th- yeah. I, I trust him completely. Like, I, I believe that this is going to be, he's like the biggest tidyverse advocate and he thinks about everything really carefully. So yeah. I'm certain that his tool will solve the problem and I'm like excited to, you know, learn it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is like another package completely motivated by like this, like feud with Jeff League, basically. <laughs> so, um, so speaking of actually, oh, yeah. um, do you want to talk about JSM? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. Uh, yeah, so because I, 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 we may not, I don't, we may or may not have an episode before then. So are you going to be at JSM? Uh, yes, I will be there uh, for two days actually. Well, I mean, we could do the all songs considered at South by Southwest equivalent <laughs> by having a podcast from JSM. We could do that. Yeah, um, yeah well, well, I'm going to be there Monday and Tuesday. Me too. Oh, oh. Yeah. This could be our first ever. <laughs> On the site. Yeah. No, I, so yeah, JSM is exciting because uh, I have, I have a poster, which I'm excited about. I'm going to talk about just like the various data teams at Stitch Fix and what we do. Cool. Um, and then uh, I also have organized a session for the section on statistical graphics. Um, and it's going to feature both Jeff League and Hadley Wickham. And some other awesome speakers as well. Uh, one of the graphics editors from 538, um, Lynn Cherney, who's done a ton of data visualization work, um, and someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm struggling too. I, I looked at this. It's, it's going to be a good session. There's no question about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you're, like a, you're like a JSM session organizer person. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, you've done a few of them now, right? I yeah, I guess I did one last year as well with um, with uh, I can't remember what section it was for, but it was more like the web analytics group or just like online experimentation. Yeah. Um, I had yeah. a couple people from Facebook, uh, 
someone from Microsoft and someone else. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a year ago. I can't expect you to remember. <laughs> no, um, but like, I, I say I'm not a very good society member. I, I have never organized a session. Oh, really? I, I figured it was um, easier than giving talks. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. But then you but, have to like hurt. You have to herd cats for like. Yeah, to get yeah, yeah. I don't mind herding cats. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe I said that. I don't. <laughs> I can't believe I said that publicly. That's not. That's not even true. But it's just. I guess I just really like JSM and. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like I guess I do feel really motivated to have these kind of different sessions um, that are. Like the, I was really motivated about the experiment one in part because I was working a ton about it with experiments um, and yeah. just wanted to hear other people's perspectives and knew that it was somewhat underrepresented um, at the conference. And then this year, uh, yeah, it was in part, I know people at the section on statistical graphics. And so, you know, yeah. they were like nudging me to do it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I, I remember no, I... the last person is another person from Facebook who has been doing um, work on like scaling data visualization within the company for product teams and stuff. So, oh, cool. Yeah, it should be really good. Monday morning, eight thirty. So, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm talking in a session on like environmental health, so it's uh, I'm talking about causal inference tools for looking at the impact of air pollution. So, mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, that will be probably less interesting, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe less of like, I mean, visualization is easy because everyone does that. So everyone's yes. excited. Yeah. yeah. It hits a wider, a wider swath of people. Yeah. yeah. The current thing I'm trying to decide is, uh, one of the talk titles is Lynn's talk title is really great. It's something like, like data visualization stories for cocktail parties <laughs> and oh. so then there was some i was like hmm can i get enough cocktails for everyone in the audience <laughs> oh that's not a good idea are you gonna chair the session yeah yeah oh you are okay mm -hmm. all right cool uh well i'm looking forward to that yeah hope you make it yes yeah. <laughs> flying in uh, like 3 a.m. or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, is, I guess anything else about, I, don't, I guess I don't really know what else. It's in Chicago. That's all I know. So. Yeah, I'm excited but, about that. It should be fun. <laughs> so. But next year is in Baltimore. So that'll be the. Right. Uh, yes. Interesting. So anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to advertise besides our book? Mm-hmm. Well, we can stick with the book for this time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Buy our book. Yeah. Or at least get our book. It is really great that my favorite quote, I think I tweeted it to you, was uh, because the quote of you being like talking about doing um, those power calculations for oh. some like very high profile medical trial. <laughs> you were like, I'd better get this calculation right, unlike all those other times. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm really happy this is in print and distributed to, you know, lots of people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't, no, no one will ever know which trial it was. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Because you probably had to do some sort of confidentiality or something, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, I'm just not telling. That's what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, this could be. This is like one of those things where, like, if you do, it, you know, if you took, if you did like an LM versus a prop test kind of thing, and then like there's like a discrepancy somewhere, like, yeah, that would just that would like I'd be sweating that one for you know. Mm -hmm. It's like that's the kind of situation where you do not want there to be. 
yeah, you, 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 sort of you figure out why there is that small difference in the decimal places. <laughs> yeah, because right. well, because in that kind of situation, you can't be like, oh, they're all the methods are equivalent, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, but it's isn't that like at some point you're gonna be resolving the like central limit theorem <laughs> or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you gotta stop somewhere, man. Like. <laughs> You're like, is this central limit theorem really true? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Man, I have those moments. Yeah. I know. <laughs> That's something that nice trip to a, to a Plinko board is always helpful. Have you ever done that? No. Oh, like if you... They had one at the Museum of Math in New York, and I went with the other Arcat lady, Sandy, and we had a really fun time. You can play, like, a Plinko board or, like, the... Um, Oh no, I can't remember the name right now, but there's like a, a real word for it. Like like a math like a math term. Uh, okay. But it's I mean the idea is that it kind of, it essentially like in real life will simulate the binomial like the normal approximation of binomial. Oh, results. yes. Yeah, cuz it's like yeah. the marbles. It's like a pig it's like yeah. a pegboard with the marbles yeah. dropping down. Yeah, okay. There's some a Galton board. That's it. Because it was Galton oh, okay. who developed it. And so okay. It was really funny because there was all these kids at the museum. Like, of course. Like, because yes. it's like a, a museum designed for children. Right. And we were like, <laughs> get out of our way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, who do you think we are? Like, we've come <laughs> for this specific exhibit. It's like you don't you don't even understand this exhibit. I know because the kids are just like yay, they're like moving the where the ball came from, which was messing up the distribution, and we were like, you need to stop, like you <laughs> 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 need to see this. <laughs> so yeah, don't don't go there if you really want to like prove it to yourself. Uh, yeah, there'll, there'll always be these lousy kids around. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I've not been to that museum, but actually, but speaking of my I, my son has been to that one actually, and I think he really liked it. Yeah, well, it's so, cool. Yeah. Okay, I'll check it out the next time in, <laughs> I'm in New York. <laughs> yeah, just try to go like, yeah, bring your kids so that he can like lure the other kids away, and you can. That's right. <laughs> I can use him as bait. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is sound advice for you, Hillary. I know. Yeah. yeah. Like, go take over. Like, why are these kids at this exhibit? Yes. <laughs> I mean, the funniest thing was that this is like, yeah, we were actually irritated. <laughs> we were like, like this, I'm not being sarcastic right now. No, I, I am totally with you. I think I would have been on the same page. <laughs> yeah, no. it's sort of an interesting museum because, yeah, there's like a bunch of kids who like just kind of want to like expend energy. And you're like, no, but there's all this math. Like, you should really be focused right now. But do you think, do you think like, you know, if you go to like a, a, like, you know, the usual science museum has like a dinosaur or whatever, do you think the, whatever, the paleontologists are freaking out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the dinosaur That's exhibit. a good question. <laughs> what the like, fuck You're was. not appreciating this. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not a toy. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, then. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's our episode, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll see everyone next time.